Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. As we see in Joseph, the whole history of the Lord Jesus from the cross to the throne. That's what we're seeing here. So this chapter also enables us to see both Joseph and Pharaoh and how they responded to God. I mean, this is, we're talking about character now. It allows us, this chapter allows us to see the character of Joseph and Pharaoh. Okay, the character of Joseph we've seen is this beautiful, just beautiful character of humility. I mean, he refused to promote himself based on the gift of this dream interpretation that God gave him. Instead of taking any credit for himself, he says it's all from God. Interpretations come from God. And we see in Joseph's character as he gives advice to Pharaoh, he's a person who's always thinking of others. That's Joseph. He looks on the baker and the butler. He's thinking of them. His advice is to, to, to Pharaoh is, you need to gather food so that it can be given out. Because that's what I do, Joseph and Esther. I gather so I can give. I mean, Joseph's character, as we see as a person who's always, he's giving, he's giving, he's giving to others, and, and, and which is why when his father, Jacob, was on his deathbed, and he was blessing his sons, when he came to Joseph, he said, oh, Joseph, Genesis 49, 22. Genesis 49, 22. He says, Joseph, is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. It's giving, it's giving, it's giving. That's Joseph. Now, we also see the character of Pharaoh in this chapter where his dreams terrified him because he knew that by the dreams he'd received an important message and he was in agony because he didn't know what the message was. He didn't have the interpretation. And he knew the dreams that he had that he had to take some kind of action. But without an interpretation, he didn't know what he should do. He didn't know what he should do. So he calls those who are responsible in Egypt for interpreting dreams. He calls all the magicians, calls all the wise men of Egypt, and he watches a complete failure as they go through all of their incantations of the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. And that's when we saw something really great about the character of Pharaoh. Because the more he saw the failure of the magicians and the wise men, the more he became convinced they are false. They are false. And by seeing this failure, a great change comes over Pharaoh. When he became aware, they became open to a solution to the problem that was not in Egypt. It was a non-Egyptian solution. And so when the butler then goes through his, well, instead of Egypt's best, may I introduce to you the young foreign prisoner slave. And this is when we see Pharaoh humbled himself in front of all of Egypt's elite there. 
of the magicians, the wise man, and he calls Joseph to be brought up out of prison. I mean, this was a turning point for, for Pharaoh when Pharaoh called for Joseph, in, in, who was in the world's estimation, in Egypt's estimation, the lowest of low. It was a low degree. By calling Joseph, Joseph, Pharaoh was turning to a person who really could be described by Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. When we shall see him. Think about, think about all the people looking at Joseph. When we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised, rejected of men. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He's despised. We esteemed him not. But can't you a picture... That exact reaction among all the magicians and the wise men, when, when the young Hebrew slave prisoner Joseph appears, we can hear them gasping, say, him? Joseph? He doesn't even have an Egyptian name. Oh, they fix that later. And, and there's no beauty that we should desire him. This young Hebrew slave prisoner, he's despised. He's rejected of men. He's a man of sorrow. He's equated with grief. And we can't look at him. He's so despised, we esteem him not. But when Pharaoh called for Joseph to be brought up, he was confessing, Joseph, he, Pharaoh was confessing. He was saying, I am bankrupt spiritually, and I'm gonna turn to this despised, rejected man of sorrows for help. And that's exactly what happens to the man who turns to the Lord Jesus Christ. As Clay told me, that, that, that he met his old friend from 50 years ago and asked him, so are you a full-on Christian? <laughs> That's Clint. Now you start to greet him that way. You say, hello, full-on Christian. <laughs> so when a person turns from the world to the Lord Jesus Christ, a typical response is, Jesus? Are you kidding? I have no interest in Jesus. Jesus despised. He was rejected by anyone except for those religious freaks. I mean, he's a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. I can't even consider be, becoming a follow, a full-on follower of him. He's so despised. He's got no value. And as a matter of fact, what we're seeing here happen with Pharaoh is a typical pattern. There's like steps, like a typical pattern, like an eight, eight step for a person who comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, first is Pharaoh had this disturbing dream. And first, a person who comes to the Lord experiences some disturbing event in their lives. And second, Pharaoh looked to the normal place for help. He looked for the magicians and the wise men for help. And second, a person turns to his normal sources of help. It might be music. It might be friends. It might be books. It might be psychologists or whatever. And then third, Pharaoh found no help in the magicians and the, and the wise men. He was frustrated. And when a person is coming to the Lord, he finds no help in his normal sources for help. And then let, next, Pharaoh admits he's wrong. He, he admitted he was wrong to rely on the magicians and the wise men. He keeps saying they couldn't do it, they couldn't do it, as he sees their failure to help him. And a person admits he's a sinner and he's been looking for help in all the wrong places. And then fifth, Pharaoh then became open and he looks to a person who is despised and rejected. He looks to him for help. And, and that's what happens when a person becomes open and willing to call for help on the Lord Jesus Christ who is despised and rejected. And then next, the sixth place, then Pharaoh called Joseph. He called Joseph up from the prison. And that's what happens to a person. He, a person calls on the name 
of the Lord Jesus Christ for help. And then next, Joseph begins to help Pharaoh by interpreting his dream. And next, the Lord Jesus Christ begins to help the sinner by first saving the sinner from his sins. But last, the real help came when Joseph really helped Pharaoh by becoming ruler over Egypt. And the Lord Jesus Christ go on to really help a person when he becomes ruler of his life. Now, Joseph is now beginning to interpret the dream to Pharaoh in verse 25. Verse 25, he says, and Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. So he explains to Pharaoh, he said, look, your two dreams are really one. The two dreams make one dream. He uses the word echad, echad. He says they're one, which is the Hebrew word for one. It's meaning especially composite unity here. And this is the word that's used to describe the triunity of God in Deuteronomy 6.4 in the Shema, Shema Yisrael. The, the Hebrew reads Yehovah. Shema Yisrael, Yehovah, Eloheinu, Yehovah, Echad. So Eloheinu is the word Elohim. It's the possessive form, our Elohim. So he says, hear, O Israel, our gods, Elohim is plural, our gods is one. It's one. So it's referring to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But he uses this one, this word one here. Now, when we saw that when Joseph began to work with Pharaoh, he just called him, in verse 16, Elohim. But, but he transitioned from that, in verse 16, to every referral to God in the rest of this chapter is not just Elohim, it's Ha Elohim, the God. So that's the message where he's sending to Pharaoh, the God, Ha Elohim, is standing now in opposition to all of these Egyptian false gods. And so... Uh, now, he goes on, he says, you know, the, the, the dream is one, and so Ha Elohim, uh, God is about to is explain to you what he's going to do. And he's explaining to you what he's going to do through two dreams. Two dreams. And they're really one, they're two dreams, but they're really one because they have the same message. Now, God oftentimes does this. He oftentimes expresses the same message in different ways, two different ways, many different ways to make sure that the message is received and it's heeded. You know, we saw this on the, on the Good Friday. We talked about the Leviticus 16 and the Day of Atonement. God wanted for Israel to understand that there are two safeguards which are required by the high priest when he went into the tabernacle. So he instituted two rituals uh, to, for the two safeguards. The first safeguard is the blood. It's the blood that's necessary to make an atonement for sin. And that was the blood of the goat. That was pointing to the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, without which there is no forgiveness of sin. But the second safeguard is the, is the priest's acceptance of that blood. And, and, and that was the prayer. That would be a prayer, for example, to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was symbolized by the incense. So the high priest had to go in with both the blood of the young goat and the incense to teach, yes, you need the blood, but you also need to receive the blood. You need to have a personal receiving of him as Lord and Savior. But in addition to that set of symbols, the Lord also gave a separate set of symbols that the high priest also did on that same day of the, of the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, where there was a young bullock and a ram. And again, the young bullock, the high priest killed and he collected the blood. Again, 
speaking of, you must have the blood. Cannot come in like Nadab and Abihu with just your prayers, your religiousness, and then be killed because you didn't have blood. It's a blood there. But in addition to that, in the ram, uh, it was the ram, which was the ram of the whole burnt offering, which spoke of a person's total devotion to the Lord, to Jehovah Jesus. And so, again, both are necessary. So God uses oftentimes the, the same message, but different, different ways. So here God is using two dreams to express the same message. And notice the clarity in Joseph's statement. It's beautifully clear in verse 25, Genesis 41, 25, Genesis 41, 25. Joseph said unto Pharaoh, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God has showed Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good kind or seven years, the seven good years or seven years, the dream is one. So when he's, get, when he's teaching Pharaoh here, we can, see him, we can see him giving to Pharaoh four very clear points. First, the dream is one. So Pharaoh should not think of his two dreams as separate from each other, but they're really one dream with two different scenes. And that was point one. Second point, God has showed. So Joseph is telling Pharaoh, look, this particular dream is from God. That's the second point. It's from God. And the third point is what he is about to do. This is a prophetic dream. This is a dream that's telling you about what's going to happen. And then the fourth point is the seven good kind are seven years and the seven ears are seven years. So it's just like with the dreams of the baker and the butler, the emphasis on the number seven, and in this case, seven represents seven years. The beauty of what Joseph has done here is seen in the clarity of his explanation. He's got four points, simple, very clear points, very easy to understand, easy for Pharaoh to understand. And when we see Joseph being this so clear with his interpretation, we see characteristic of, the, of a teacher of truth, a teacher of truth. A teacher of truth is very clear and very easy to understand. Why? Because truth thrives on clarity and its ease of understood, being understood. Truth thrives on light and it thrives on being able to see. And on the other hand, deception thrives on mysterious and a lack of clarity. It thrives on superstitions and hidden messages like the Kabbalah, which is a real deception. It thrives on all these murky, mysterious messages through numbers. Look at this number, that number, add it together, divide it, oh boy. It's numerology. The root, that's not characteristic of truth. And deception lures with superstitious hiddenness You don't know. You got to come and get closer. Deception thrives on darkness and not being able to see clearly. And so what we see Joseph doing here with these four easy to understand, clear points, it's characteristic of a teacher of truth. Nothing mysterious in what he says, so different from a teacher of deception. Now next, in verses 26 and 27, Joseph fixes uh, Pharaoh's attention on the number seven. Seven represents seven years. The seven kind are seven years. The seven good years are seven years. The dream is one. The seven thin and ill-favored kind that came after them are seven years. The seven empty years lasted with the east wind shall be seven years of famine. 
Yeah, wow, you know, you said it four times already. It's seven years, it's seven years, it's seven years, it's seven years. You got it? Yeah, okay. He's focusing him on the fact that these are sets of seven years. There's two sets of seven years here. And he's telling him by repeating. In fact, he even, he even says he's aware of the fact that he's repeating. And so in verse 28, he says, this is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. Okay, already. What God is about to do, he's showing unto Pharaoh. So Joseph is doing here, it's masterful. Because he's making sure that Pharaoh is brought with him as a teacher. He's making sure he's on board. He's making sure he understands. You understand these are two sets of seven years here. Because God wants to show you what he's going to do. And this is so good of Joseph to be so, so clearly instructing Pharaoh. Let's not lose fact also of the sight of how good this was for God to show Pharaoh what he's about to do. Because when we see God wanting to show Pharaoh what he's about to do, it shows us God does not want anyone to be in the dark about what God's going to do. So he, he, he clearly explains it. Like God doesn't want anybody being in the dark about what's going to happen to them exactly when they die. Because he said in Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's so very clear. It's a very clear statement. There's no purgatory. There's no soul sleep. There's no annihilation after death. It's simply a progression of moving on to judgment. That's a very clear statement. And the Bible is very clear about what will happen in that judgment. When it says in Revelation 20.15, Revelation 20.15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's very clear. Not in the book, cast. Revelation 21.27, shall no wise enter into anything that defileth or works abomination or makes a lie, for they are, for the ones who are entering in are in the Lamb's book of life. Very clear statement. Lamb's book of life. Written in the Lamb's book of life, heaven. Not written in the Lamb's book of life, hell, lake of fire. Very clear. Like the clarity in 1 John 5.12. 1 John 5.12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very clear. Very clear. So now Joseph now, he moves on to the interpretation of the dream. And he, said, he explains in, in verse 29 and verse 29. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine shall consume the land, and the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine following, for it shall be very grievous. So again, very simple explanation of what's going to happen. Essentially, there's going to be five years of a great plenty, and then there's going to be five years, seven years. Seven years of a great plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of a severe famine. And we can, now we see it so clearly, right? I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so obvious. I mean, Clint, you could have done that, right? <laughs> and we see how Joseph is very clear. He's a teacher of truth. Okay. And we've seen how God's message is very simple. Seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And it shows how not only was Joseph's message clear, it was simple. It was simple. Even a child could understand this. And Joseph here is providing for us an example of how to teach the gospel, how to bring the gospel to the lost. He knew, Joseph knew, that God had given him an interpretation, which is a very simple message. So he uses clarity, he uses simplicity, he uses a lot of repetition, he even says in verse 28, I'm repeating, I know I'm repeating. That's how we should present the gospel. 
As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.12, 2 Corinthians 3.12, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. Great plainness of speech. We have such a great hope that comes from such a simple message that the Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins to make us acceptable to God. Nothing complicated. And so we use a great plainness of speech like Joseph did. And after we presented the gospel so clearly and we presented it in its most simple form to the lost, if the lost don't understand, it's not our fault. It's not our fault that they didn't understand that it was because it wasn't because it wasn't understandable. The reason they don't understand, the lost don't understand, is because of 2 Corinthians 4.3. 2 Corinthians 4.3 says, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So what's driving us to make the gospel very simple and very clear is our belief. The more we believe, the more we're driven into this because as Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 4.13, 2 Corinthians 4.13, we having the same spirit of faith, according it is written, I believed, therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Now, this doesn't come naturally, bringing the gospel. It doesn't come naturally. And so we have to ask, to, we have to pray for an ability to do this. And we have to ask others to pray for us as well. And Paul taught us that in Colossians 4.3. In Colossians 4.3, he said, with all praying for us that God would open the door of utterance. He would open this door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds that I may make manifest as I ought to speak. Okay, now, Joseph goes and he makes a big point in verse 32 when he says, for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. That's actually redundant, doubled unto Pharaoh twice, but he's driving this point. It is because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. All right, now, Joseph has told Pharaoh that the dream was doubled or spoken twice. And the reason that is because he says it's established by God. So by Joseph telling Pharaoh that there's the great significance here to the repetition when God says something twice. It's not, God's not being superfluous. God's not being redundant. He's saying that this is really important, so I'm saying it twice. Now, God uses this method of repetition. He does. He uses this. He, it says in Hebrews 6.17, Hebrews 6.17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have, is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into the veil. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free 
at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you love and stand with Israel? Would you like to meet a living Holocaust survivor? Then join radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the Friendship with God Fellowship this Sunday, September 24th at 5 p.m. as we welcome Brian Slater from Abundant Life Ministries Israel and Holocaust survivor Nachem Kirpelovich from Netanya Israel, who's the leader of the largest Russian-speaking Holocaust survivor branch in Israel. Arrive early before 5 p.m. and enjoy amazing food and unforgettable Israeli Jewish music from the De Lamont Strings, as well as an amazing message and the opportunity to hear and meet from a living Holocaust survivor. Stand with Israel and join radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor this Sunday at 5 p.m. at the Friendship with God Fellowship that's located inside the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, near the Santee Drive-In off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North. For more information on this Stand with Israel free event at the Friendship with God Fellowship, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051.